Hello, being Zafarth. I'm your host, Neil Verma. Welcome to eBrandCast, where we decode what branding truly is, so you can build a dominant econ brand. In this episode, we'll explore why you need to apply positive psychology to your branding in order to create an emotional connection with your customers. But also, why positive psychology alone isn't enough and how to evolve beyond it to build a human e-commerce brand. You could say this episode will be all about the mental game of marketing, something that's easy to underestimate, especially in e-commerce, where most of us have been taught to focus on offers. And while it's good to stay grounded in the practical elements of your business, which is everything you can measure and control, you can lose sight of what will really drive your growth. And that is people. Every sale has a person on the other hand. Sometimes that's easy to forget when customers are immediately turned into a collection of data points. But here's what you need to do to keep it in mind. Although people shopping has changed, why we buy hasn't. At heart, people are meeting a basic need, like food, water, and security, or just trying to improve their lives. Very often, it's both. It's the work of branders and marketers to signal to consumers that their products are capable of fulfilling those needs. Exactly how branders and marketers have communicated with consumers, however, that has drastically changed over time. In North America, after World War II, advertising entered its golden age, resulting in an economic boom. For most average people, it was the first time since the Great Depression that they could spend for fun, not just survival. This moment also coincided with the rise of television, a medium that advertisers quickly adapted. Although the cost of a one-minute commercial could run up to $20,000, more than 10x what advertising a radio cost, so many brands were initially reluctant to jump on board. Eventually, brands decided to compromise and ran 30-second ads to save money without missing on TV's wide audience. Remember, there were only three TV stations throughout the 50s, and they didn't broadcast 24-7. TV wasn't habitual like it is today. At the time, broadcasts were mini-events, and because there was so little choice, a mass audience was actually a mass audience. TV shows could attract easily an audience of 40 to 50 million viewers. Compare that to today, the most popular TV series in terms of viewers is NCIS, which averaged 11.6 million viewers in its most recent season. The post-war advertising also saw the rise of celebrity endorsements. It was an era defined by selling status and keeping up with the Joneses. Although marketing evolved quickly and an ad from the 50s was very different from the one you'd see in the 90s, they all had one thing in common. Overwhelmingly, advertising was negative. What I mean is, at its heart, advertising was driven by fear and lack. Marketers tended to sell by promising to solve your negative emotions like relieving guilt, removing self-consciousness, or improving your weaknesses. A popular 1966 clear cell commercial for their acne treatment features a young woman in black and white lamenting how embarrassing her skin is. She talks about how hopeless she is and that she's burdened by worry about what people must think of her. Throughout the 80s and 90s, advertisers emphasized the coolness of the product. Great 
traded heavily on FOMO before the acronym was actually a thing. Making you feel you are missing out, emphasizing your lack in order to persuade you to buy. In a more recent example from 2010, Miller Lite ran a campaign called Man Up that told men they weren't real men because they didn't know what great beer tastes like. Of course, it's true that fear, guilt, and shame can be powerful motivators, especially short-term. I came across a really powerful example of this idea in the book Switch, How to Change Things When Change is Hard by Chip and Dan Heath. They refer to a 1988 explosion on an oil rig caused by a gas leak. As the platform burned out of control, the workers had a simple choice. Jump into the sea and take their chances or stay put and burn to death. The survivors all jumped. So can fear motivate us to act in beneficial ways? Of course, as this story exemplifies, it's a survival mechanism. The problem is many marketers take this insight and turn their copy into a life or death choice. It might be life or death of your social life or your sense of self-esteem, but they're leveraging the power of fear all the same. The trouble is, negative emotions aren't nearly as powerful motivators long-term as positive emotions. And positive emotions have been shown to prompt action just as effectively as fear. In one study, researchers showed participants emotionally engaging videos and found that inspirational stories increased the oxytocin, a hormone response, which is associated with the feelings of empathy. Participants were also found to be more willing to donate money to a stranger. In another study, participants were shown videos of cute animals, which increased their performance scores on detailed-oriented tasks. Positive emotions are also more effective at boosting creativity and keeping people engaged longer term than changes brought on by fear. Coming back to marketing, there's also the reality that consumers are fed up with degrading, lazy messaging. This is where marketers can take a cue from a parallel evolution that happened in psychology in the late 90s. Just like advertising in the aftermath of World War II, psychiatry focused on the treatment and management of mental illness. Psychology was about serving people who weren't normal and, through therapy and potential medication, returned them to that normal. Like fear advertising, psychology was obsessed with lack of what we were missing. In 1998, however, Martin Seligman coined the term positive psychology in a speech he gave to the American Psychological Association. He made the argument that by focusing so much on fixing people's weaknesses, psychology was neglecting to help its patients build strength, resilience, and find fulfillment. He thought it was time that changed. He describes the purpose of positive psychology as catalyzing a change in psychology from a preoccupation only with repairing the worst things in life to also building the best qualities in life. The legend is that Seligman's daughter was his inspiration, that when she was five, they were spending time together in the Rose Garden. After she tried to get his attention, he snapped at her. His daughter then scolded him, telling him that if she had been able to stop whining like she did when she was three, he could stop being a grouch. It was a revelation that made him realize we shouldn't just be trying to heal the bad, but develop what was good as well. The speech is widely seen as a turning point that kicked off the fourth wave of psychology. And just like our friend Abraham Maslow 
and his hierarchy of needs, these insights have since made their way into the world of marketing. Not a surprise since branding and marketing have always been a branch of practical psychology, as its core consumerism is about understanding and motivating people's behavior and perceptions. Applying positive psychology to your branding and messaging is emerging as one of the best ways to not only influence purchase decisions in your favor, but also increase brand loyalty longer term. Imagine brands who are people. Who would you rather hang out with? Someone who constantly reminds you of your faults and even criticizes you, or someone who's affirming and inspiring you to grow? And remember, the study that found inspirational stories increase our oxytocin, a hormone response, which strengthens bonding. By engaging positive psychology, customers are more likely to become loyal customers. So on a practical level, how do you do this? First, keep in mind that the two beliefs at the foundation of positive psychology are that people don't want to just survive, they want to thrive. And thriving happens when people feel their life as meaning. And the second belief is that people have the strength to find that meaning. In other words, helping people live the lives they want is at the core of positive psychology. Hopefully this sounds familiar to any of you who've been following us through our EBB's 7C method. You know that we don't just advise knowing your target customer, but knowing them well enough to be able to elevate them. To position your brand and products as a way for customers to fulfill an aspiration, not just fix a problem. If this is a new idea to you, by the way, you can find out more in our free branding book called Checkout, which you can order at ebrandbook.com. But basically, building an aspirational brand is just another way of saying you're applying positive psychology to your business. And to put this in practice, the acronym to learn is PERMA, P-E-R-M-A, which identifies the five elements of well-being. These are the cornerstones of positive psychology. Positive emotion, E for engagement, relationships, meaning, and A for achievement, PERMA. In this context, positive emotion is another word for pleasure, whether or not you feel good in the moment. Engagement refers to the flow state, the feeling of being fully immersed in what you're doing, lose track of time, and find deep fulfillment in the process. Achievement is pretty self-explanatory, but I think it's helpful to realize that it can also mean a feeling of progress, not just success. Obviously, some people are going to prioritize relationships over achievement, while others will prize meaning rather than positive emotions. This is where knowing your customer comes in. As building a brand they find truly aspirational will tap into the specific priorities among the five elements. And of course, while you don't need to have all five elements in your brand, the more you can incorporate, the stronger the emotional bond customers will have to your brand. One of the reasons so many e-com DTC brands have taken off is precisely because they've managed to leverage positive psychology as the core of their business models. One excellent example of positive psychology at work in e-com branding is 4Ocean, a purpose-driven brand that sells beaded bracelets. The beads are made of post-consumer recycled glass bottles, including 5% reclaimed ocean glass. Their manufacturing process and recycled content is also audited and verified by Green Circle, a third-party certification company for sustainability claims. They've also developed a closed-loop program, which allows customers to return their bracelets to the company when they're done with them to recycle its material. Finally, 
Each bracelet purchase funds the removal of a pound of trash from oceans, rivers, and coastlines. The purpose behind the bracelet is to support this important work of cleaning up the ocean, but also works as a reminder to curb your individual consumptions of single-use plastics. Let's break this down in terms of the PERMA model. First, customers get to feel good about their purchase, knowing they're helping clean up the oceans, as well as getting the aesthetic pleasure from the product itself. Presumably, buyers like the bracelet. That's the pleasure or positive emotion factor. Achievement comes in the form of feeling like the purchase is helping the brand make progress on climate issues, even if it's one pound of plastic at a time. Meanings comes from in the form of helping the climate, but also on a personal level with the mindfulness behind the bracelet to help people curb plastic consumption. This mindfulness brings more meaning to your choices, makes you take a gut check with your values in every choice, ultimately helping you build a more meaningful life. Finally, the brand emphasizes that wearing a bracelet instantly identifies you as a member of the clean ocean movement, building a sense of community. This highlights the relationships elements of the PERMA element. Now, this brand doesn't have a specific engagement element built in, but with four out of five elements, it's a strong brand that offers a lot of positive psychology to buyers. Another e-com brand making the most of positive psychology is Hungry Harvest, a brand that offers a subscription service for produce. The hook is that Hungry Harvest rescues fruits and vegetables that aren't good-looking enough to be sold in grocery stores, basically food that would otherwise go to waste. Waste that contributes to greenhouse gas emissions massively, not to mention seems like a sin when so many people are going hungry and here is perfectly good food just being thrown out. Aside from rescuing this ugly produce, Hungry Harvest also supports hunger-solving organizations by selling produce at a reduced cost as well as donating. Since 2014, Hungry Harvest estimates they've rescued 20 million pounds of food waste, provided 1.3 million pounds of produce to hunger-solving groups, as well as eliminating 960 million gallons of water waste. Similar to 4Ocean, Hungry Harvest scores highly on the PERMA elements of positive emotion, meaning relationships, and in their support for hungry families everywhere and achievement. Hopefully you can see the close relationship between positive psychology and purpose. But again, purpose doesn't have to be socially conscious. BarkBox, for instance, a subscription box for dogs, uses positive psychology to elevate buying pet supplies to becoming a monthly ritual that helps customers bond more deeply with their dog. It gives dog owners the gift of getting to feel like amazing caregivers. The surprise element of the boxes is a huge draw and the fact that each month is themed. Lots of owners also report that they're sure their dogs recognize the box when it arrives, turning it into a very special unboxing filled with positive emotion, strengthened relationship, and deeper meaning. Another great e-com example is Alala. They sell high-end activewear for women. They're an interesting example because activewear and the fitness category has traditionally traded on shame marketing and twisting the knife into people's insecurities. The brand name gives you a hint at what they're doing differently. They're named after a Greek goddess whose name signifies a battle cry, a call to arms. They explain that for them, Alala represents who they aspire as a modern woman. 
that women can have it all and make a mark on the world. The brand runs on empowerment, not just with their high-end clothing designs and luxurious material, but also the website represents women of all body types. There is no messaging pushing unrealistic body expectations or shaming. Instead, it's about standing out with unique designs and not a beach body. Traction to the unique designs and luxurious materials delivers on positive emotions. The brand highlights meaning and achievement through empowerment and gives women the room to define what achievement means for themselves. And the comfort of the clothing allows customers to engage with their workouts. The brand emphasizes that the designs are inspired by women's all-day wardrobe, meaning their athletic wear can be worn all day. And this allows women to pursue their goals without needing to stop and change if they did want to do that. What all of these examples have in common is that when engaging with positive psychology, it really works. And in terms of our friend Maslow's hierarchy, which you've discussed lots of time on this podcast, the focus is firmly on the top of the pyramid. All of these brands point their customers towards self-actualization, not just meeting their basic survival needs or playing with their self-esteem. Selling better self-esteem is where so much emotional manipulation happens, but when you're dealing with self-actualization, the brand experience you offer has to be authentic in order to resonate. But before you dive headfirst into aspirations and mindfulness with your brand, you need to know that this approach can easily backfire. Especially now, as we're living through a pandemic, or just past it, and an unprecedented level of uncertainty, leaning too heavily on positive psychology can feel tone deaf. Which is why you need to not just leverage positive emotions, but build a human brand. Martin Seligman's positive psychology ideas took off because in the late 90s and early 2000s, his ideas were dovetailing with concepts like mindfulness and self-compassion going mainstream. One of the artifacts of this revolution is the ubiquitous Keep Calm and Carry On posters which emerged in the early 2000s and grew in popularity over the next decade to become a meme. It's a phenomenon that can teach us a lot about what it means to balance positive psychology with human branding. Part of why the saying caught fire was because as it emerged in the UK, it reinforced what we see as quintessentially British. Keep Calm and Carry On seemed to be perfectly encapsulating the stereotype of the British stiff upper lip, the sense that they never got emotional in the face of adversity. In addition, since its roots are in World War II, it also captured the spirit of Winston Churchill and his conviction that the British people would never back down to the Nazi threat. In modern times, the poster felt like a reminder that no matter what we're going through, humans have been through worse and still managed to come out better on the other side. But it has a much darker history than its fake inspirational kits would have to believe. The poster was originally created in the summer of 1939 in the UK by the Ministry of Information. It was part of a three-poster series created as a proactive step in case another war broke out. So at the time, the only real guidance the ministry had about this kind of message that it might be needed was World War I. The advent of airplanes fundamentally changed warfare. And although there was a significant air warfare throughout World War I, it was best known for, for, known for trench warfare. A style that was not only brutal on soldiers' morale and psychological health, but led to a shocking number of deaths and dramatically lengthened the conflict. The feeling was, in any future war, trench warfare needed to be avoided at all cost. As the 30s came in and airplane technology evolved, 
the idea of a knockout blow from the air game ground. This was the theory that in future war, the enemy would try to quickly decapitate Britain with a series of air raids by thousands of bombers with incendiary and positive gas bombs. These raids would likely destroy the cities, lead to a collapse in morale, and eventually the total collapse of the economy, as survivors would likely flee to the countryside for safety. Estimates figure that this kind of raid cost 2 million deaths within two months. To put this fear into perspective, in 1966, former Prime Minister Harold Macmillan explained that at that time, air warfare in 1938 was thought of as people think of nuclear warfare today. And so the Ministry of Information set out their propaganda work with this vision of annihilation and millions of casualties in mind. Keep calm and carry on in particular wasn't born out of some belief that resilience was a quintessential British trait, but the fear that it wasn't. Many in government worried that should the worst happen, the working class would panic. So the poster was kept in reserve for just such an emergency. The trouble was, those earth-shattering air raids never happened. And the Keep Calm poster was never displayed on a large scale, unlike the two other posters created at the same time. Instead, the start of World War II was nicknamed the Boer War, as economic warfare and naval blockades were more common. So in 1940, when a paper shortage hit Britain, most of the posters were pulped, although a precious few managed to survive. One such copy was rediscovered in 2000 in Butter Books in Northumberland, tucked out inside a box of secondhand books bought at an auction. The bookstore's owner, Stuart and Mary Millay, framed the poster and hung it up in the store. It got so much attention in the following months that they started to reproduce and sell copies. It was a message that found a new resonance in time when the war on terror was getting underway, a war in which the UK was America's largest partner. There was a mainstream desire to learn how to cope with the new world and nostalgia for the resilience of World War II. Of course, it also dovetailed with the mindfulness and positive movement in psychology, making it a perfect storm. While it spawned countless spoofs, spin-offs, and maybe inspired a few people in the intervening years, the poster eventually lost its meaning and become a tired cliché. Part of the reason this happened is the same reason why branders need to be careful about positive psychology in their messaging. In a way, Keep Calm and Carry On, Current's reputation as empty suggests that its modern audience can feel its propaganda roots. That it's a message meant to influence behavior and wallpaper over negative emotions. In other words, it can be seen as an example of toxic positivity, a phenomenon that purpose-led brands need to be careful to avoid. Having a purpose puts a lot of pressure on brands to prove that they're a force for good in this world. Toxic positivity, though, is when positivity becomes pressure to gloss over negativity to the point of being emotionally dishonest. It's a culture that makes it inappropriate to express negative emotions or genuine worries. The danger with positive psychology's emphasis on growth and self-improvement is that it can easily create unspoken shame in people who are struggling emotionally. If the message is always that you can choose to be happy, struggling can feel like a personal failure. Toxic positivity is therefore a big danger for brands, as purpose is almost unanimously associated with the positive worldview. The slogan, keep calm and carry on, comes perilously close to expressing this kind of idea. But as I hope my story has just shown you, although it might be a cliche now, keep calm and carry on is an artifact of terror and trauma. So there remains a spirit of resilience about it, the belief in the ability to transform negative emotion 
which is what probably made it resonance with people in the first place. Something its commercialization glossed over because the marketing world is typically a happy-go-lucky place. After all, marketing is always selling the idea that your life can be better. But don't get me wrong, positive psychology, aspirational brands, they're all proven to forge stronger relationship with customers than neutral or negative brands. But without the ability to acknowledge that humanity is flawed and sometimes we fall short, you're in real danger of disconnecting from people's real lives and experiences. And it's this empathy that really makes great brand people love. This is important than ever, as we're in a particularly confusing and difficult time. COVID has reshuffled everyone's lives and priorities and introduced a period of prolonged uncertainty, both in terms of our health and economic safety. Right now, people are worried about making through the next week and neglecting to acknowledge that or throw a dismissive keep calm and carry on mug in their face will only turn them away. It's important to realize that staying true to your purpose and engaging positive psychology doesn't mean you deny what's going on. Instead, tough times need to trigger a gut check on your brand values, a call to find a new way to express them while acknowledging the reality of how your customers are feeling. This is needed on a brand level right now as the world navigates a pandemic, but you need to be able to do this on a micro personal interaction level as well. Consider an upset customer making a customer service complaint. You don't want to approach this conversation with a too sunny disposition as it will make the customer feel unheard. So be careful that you're not using positive psychology to strangle customers with emotional sugar. Just like the trend of personalization in e-commerce ought to be reframed as personal, really listening to what's going on to help people feel more connected and at ease. Building a brand that leaves room for emotional honesty is what having a human brand really means. Negative emotions shouldn't be shunned, rather they should be transformed. Consider our positive psychology creator Martin Seligman, the beginning of his story may surprise you. His graduate work actually involved a series of experiments on dogs. He would indiscriminately punch them with random electric shocks. Certainly not an ethical experiment and neither were the results of his findings. He coined the term learned helplessness when his results showed that eventually the dogs would accept their fate and receive their unfair punishment quietly. So not unlike keep calm and carry on, Martin Seligman has his own dark past because this theory was later used by the CIA in their enhanced interrogation program during the war on terror. But before we throw him under the bus, the concept did have positive outcomes such as deepening our understanding of abusive relationships and a range of mental illnesses. Luckily, following Seligman's express in positive psychology, he decided to revisit his old ideas about learned helplessness. At the time, the idea was that once people feel they've lost control of their lives, we tend to become passive spectators and give up. What he realized later was that the feeling of not having control over our lives isn't learned exclusively through abuse, but a universal human experience. Of course, the course of our lives, we learn to be hopeful. We learn resilience. We learn our own strength, which is the core purpose of positive psychology. It was a more complete view of pupil. Life doesn't destroy us. We're always a work in progress. And in that light, positive psychology feels like a more compassionate view, something that's emotionally honest. Without this fully human, empathetic spirit, you're risk building just another brand people see as hypocritical out of touch and profit worshiping. Be a purpose-led aspirational brand that leverages positive psychology 
but make sure you do so in a way that connects people with their resilience. A quality that doesn't mean they always have to feel wonderful to be complete, which will transform your business into a human brand that actually deepens the meaning of people's lives and your own. Okay, you've been listening to eBrandCast where we decode what branding truly is so you can build a dominant e-com brand. If you got anything useful from today's episode, let the world know by leaving us a review. It would mean a lot to us as our podcast is still new and your reviews help us grow our audience and keeps us going. But more importantly, your feedback also allows us to improve the podcast and make sure we're delivering the information that you need. And hey, if you're on the fence about posting a review as a thank you to everyone who does, we're offering everyone who leaves us a review free lifetime access to the 7C Canvas platform. It's an online tool that allows you to fill out, save, and share as many versions of the 7C Canvas you can come up with. What's the 7C Canvas? is the ultimate one-pager building block technique to creating an e-com brand strategy. It accompanies our flagship 7C method and is a perfect companion for our book checkout. Getting access is an easy three-step process. First, post a review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars is always welcome. Second, take a screenshot of your review and finally email your screenshot to reviews at ebrandbuilders.com and we'll reply back with instructions to access the new home of your brand strategy. Want to hear more episodes of eBrandCast? You will find all our past shows at eBrandCast.com. And subscribe to make sure you're the first to hear about new episodes. Thank you again for tuning in today. See you in the next one. Bye for now.